The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. My name is Dan Fitton, your host, and today I am joined by His Excellency, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary, Brooksville, Florida, Bishop Donald Sanborn, and Reverend Father Nicholas Desposito, Vice-Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary. Welcome, my Lord and Father. Thank you. Hello, thank you. Well, it's been uh, quite a few weeks since we last had the uh, heavyweights of tradition from MHT Seminary on our show to discuss the great apostate, also known as uh, uh, George Bergoglio, also known as Francis. And today we have um, quite a bumper show for you today. We're um, uh, the, the, roughly brought, um, brigaded our topics into three areas. Um, so we're going to discuss the insanity of the Novus Ordo, um, the Reckon Rise and Resistance being back straight back to square one, and um, a bit of a topic on morality in the Novus Ordo, which um, you can probably combine with the first section. So um, just to move straight into it, uh, the uh, in this part of the show, in uh, we're going to talk about the current... Insanity or absurdity going on in the Vatican and the Novus Ordo, and I'd like to discuss a couple of developments um, in the Vatican, and particularly the latest vomit-inducing stuff that has come forth from Bergoglio. Um, so, uh, a quick note to our listeners: um, there has been roughly a two-month gap between recording. So, the first uh, this 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 show will cover June and July. So there will be some stories which you may, may think is old news, but uh, we've done a thorough check and we can assure you it's not fake news at least. <laughs> so uh, the first story I'd like to uh, I'd like to talk about, and as our listeners know, I'm uh, I'm from the UK. If you you cannot tell by my accent, um, is there is a Catholic diocese in the UK which is encouraging its Catholics to visit pagan shrines to bow to pagan images and eat food blessed with pagan rituals in the spirit of ecumenism and dialogue um, and it's also given guidelines on pagan shrines um, which I'll link in the show notes and um, the the bishop is uh, in question that uh, brought this in is Ralph Heskett um, so uh, what do we think of that my lord and father Vatican II, uh, Creon ecumenism, uh, they're, they're all means of salvation. Uh, so why not? Uh, it happens to go against exactly what St. Paul said about eating uh, the, uh, the chickens and so forth that were used in Roman sacrifices. Uh, not that, you know, it, it changes the chicken in any way, or, or it, but the, fact, the problem is that it is a sign of participating in non-Catholic worship, that, that these things have some sort of 
sacred value because they've been involved in pagan rituals. If anything, their value is is turned into something diabolical and satanic because of their association with uh, pagan rituals. I mean, this is idolatry. This stuff, and this is something that that uh, is. I mean, if. It just is so contrary to everything the Catholic Church has ever stood for. What about St. Francis Xavier going and undoing all of these these pagan rituals in India and various other places in the Far East? What about the endless stream of missionaries to China and to Japan? What about the martyrs in Japan who precisely gave their lives in order not to be Buddhists or Shintoists or some other... Uh, form of paganism. What about all this? Totally overturns everything that the Catholic faith has ever stood for with regard to paganism. Okay, so one thing I, uh, in my notes, I have two, two things I want to point out with regard to this. The first one is that in the Novus Sordo context, or the, in the heretical modernistic context, um, faith comes before any system of, of religion. Basically, they claim that we all have this religious sense uh, that afterwards is manifested either in what we call a pagan religion or by Christian faith or whatever. Uh, So all of them are legitimate manifestations of this religious sense. And the other thing is uh, in the Novo Sordo, again, heretical system, uh, Karl Rahner says that we all are uh, anonymous uh, Christians, even before we know about the Christian faith. So again, I will in in this system, the the pagans uh, or our relationship with the pagans is that we tell them, uh, we evangel evangelize them by telling them telling them basically that they are already saved by the incarnation of Christ, and and that's it. They are already Christians. That's how Runner understands the. Um, uh, um, the invincible ignorance and, and the traditional, the traditional um, uh, theological notion about uh, ignorance and faith, or the faith and incorporation into the body of the church or the soul of the church. So I think it, it makes sense in the context of the of the of modernists that for them there is no problem. You are a pagan because basically you are just manifesting your own religious sense, and also you are anonymously a Christian because our Lord in, uh, already became man, and in, in that action, we all became like basically Christ in that system. So it's very weird and naturalistic, of course. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting how, uh, um, I've, going back to what uh, um, His Lordship said earlier on about the uh, eating food um, blessed in other pagan rituals, because um, I'm not sure if you get it over in the US, but um, we have, uh, so in the supermarkets, they would, or the um, the malls or wherever, they would, they would sell um, packages of meat, so say um, chicken and beef and lamb, and sometimes what they would do is they would um, they, they in the abattoir they would be um, basically ha- uh, killed in a halal fashion and then packaged as you know your everyday um, chicken and lamb and meat and um, it's it, nowhere it says on that packaging that it's halal or it's been blessed by halal. Now some supermarkets do, 
But on that occasion, um, technically as a Catholic, you could you could conceivably go in and buy a pack of meat um, which has been killed in a halal fashion and and eat it, um, which is quite a quite a horrendous thing to do, really. <laughs> Well, I mean, the the imam is is incapable of doing anything sacred. So, I mean, a a piece of meat that is blessed by an imam uh, is is the same as a piece of meat that is not blessed by an imam. And as far as the manner of slaughter, really, that has nothing to do with it either. What is always the question is, would you give the impression of participating in false worship or in some way of mixing religions, that's always the question. Now there's, for example, kosher foods. There's no, uh, you know, the fact that those are approved by a rabbi does not stop you from buying or eating kosher foods. Uh, the, uh, but, you know, always the question is that. I mean, if there's a moral question, it would be, is there any sign of mixing religions here? Uh, and if there is, then you can't do it because that's contrary to the law of God against the first commandment. So, but I, I really don't want to pronounce or make a statement about that at this point. I would have to think about that a long time before I could say something. Okay, well, um, we'll, we'll move on topics. Uh, so this was reported um, mid-June, um, and this was in the, again in the Catholic Herald um, UK website. Um, Pope Francis has appointed 45 new ordinary members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, and they include a chap called Nigel Bigger, who basically has said he thinks the legal abortion limit should um, be moved down from the current 22 weeks. Uh, I'm not sure what it is in America. Um, so it's 25 weeks, actually, um, down to 18 weeks. Um, so uh, effectively, what I'm saying here is um, the Vatican appointed someone who is a, an abortion advocate um, to its Pontifical Council for Life. Yes, there's a couple of things here. First of all, uh, that the reason he wants it at 18 weeks is that there is some evidence of brain activity, he says, and therefore of consciousness, which reveals uh, an underlying serious error, and that is that consciousness is the measure of life, which is not true. In other words, that you're not really alive until you're conscious. You are not really a human being if you are not conscious. Right? So that would therefore uh, approve of euthanasia because people might become unconscious and therefore we just uh, get rid of them. Uh, uh, it, consciousness is, is uh, merely an activity of the brain whereby it records its own activity. You see, so it's, it's sort of watching itself doing something. It, it has nothing to do with whether you're alive or not, whether you're a human being or not. It has nothing whatever to do with it. Uh, you could have a, a memory lapse. You, you could have some sort of brain damage whereby you, you're not conscious. Uh, you're still a human being. And so, you know, his, his reasoning is totally false. Secondly, the question of abortion is really more fundamentally reduced to birth control because no matter when you say that child is a real child, uh, that is a truly a human being, whether it's at conception itself, which is practically certain, or, or whether it's nine months after con conception, 
no matter where you place that, it doesn't matter from the moral point of view because to abort a child is a form of birth control. Birth control is immoral because you are interfering with the process of God's creation of a human being. Parents are procreators, that is, they help God, we might say, in the production of a human being who has an immortal soul. So no matter where the child, quote-unquote, becomes human, matters not. It, I mean, it, it doesn't matter at all. The, 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 it is wrong because man cannot interfere in the processes of conception which properly belong to God. And that's why birth control, artificial birth control, is immoral, and that's why abortion is immoral. So to argue this business of, you know, wh where it is a child and so forth, and no one, you know, first of all, it, it's, it's, it's certain that it, it starts at conception. But even if we were to, for the sake of argument, concede that maybe it doesn't, the, the, uh, the, the decision about where you can abort this thing is always immoral because it interferes with the conception process. Yes, I would like to add to that the, the moral theologian uh, Merkelbach says that even in cases of rape, once the act has been consummated, uh, the woman is not permitted to try to get the seed out of the vessel because the natural process has already begun. So some other uh, people were trying to argue that in that case you have the unjust uh, aggressor, but Merkel says, no, the process, the natural process has already begun. So is God the only one who can, uh, if, if conception follows or not, uh, that all depends on God. So you cannot do anything once the, the, the act has been performed so, or consummated. Uh, I would add this, that even if one were to say, well, there's doubt as to when it is a child and when it is merely a fetus. Let's say, you know, somebody might say that there's doubt. Well, even in the doubt, you must protect the life because when it, whenever a doubt concerns the good of a third person, as, as moral theology says, in other words, the uh, uh, some sort of um, justice that is due to a third person, you have to favor the safer course. So typically the, the example of moral theology is a hunter is looking at something in a, at a distance. He's not sure whether it's a man or a deer. If he pulls that trigger, he commits the sin of murder because he must necessarily give the benefit of the doubt to the fact that it is a man and therefore refrain from shooting. If he shoots and it's a deer, he has still committed murder in, in his heart and, and he must confess the sin of murder in principle. In other words, that he did not actually shoot a man, but he was ready to shoot a man. And so also these people who are spouting these theories about when it's a child, you know, even if we were to give them, say, okay, well, it's doubtful, we still must protect that child all the way to birth because of the doubt. See, so I would just add that as a, as a moral consideration as well. <clears throat> do, do you think this appointment holds uh, significance then, my lord? Um, you know, appointing someone who's quite obviously uh, keen to engage on the, the hardened dogma of um, abortion. Um, do you think we've, we're going to see a softening of the stance in the North Sodo Church? 
Um, bearing in mind that Ratzinger um, a few years ago basically agreed to the use of condoms in certain situations, but effectively agreed to it. Yes, Mr. Conservative, Mr. Conservative Ratzinger. I think they're going to soften on abortion. Absolutely, I think they will. I think they're going to soften on anything that posits an obstacle between the quote-unquote Catholic Church and the modern world. They will soften on everything. They're supposed to reevaluate humanae vitae next year. You know what that means. That means uh, you know, an official approval of artificial birth control as if everyone is obeying the rules already. You see, as if all of these millions and millions of Catholics are saying, oh, please alleviate the rules. You know as well as I do that 90% of childbearing couples are practicing artificial birth control and going to, to what they call Holy Communion. Mm. And they are told to do so and have been told to do so mm. for decades by the Novus Ordo clergy using their conscience. So uh, yes, I do think there'll be some, some backup. Now, Bergoglio has occasionally railed against abortion. So he might for some other reason than moral reasons rail against it because he might just dislike it or it's against life or some socialistic, humanistic reason. But it won't be for a Catholic moral reason because uh, in my opinion, he doesn't believe in God. And so it, it will, if he holds on it, it will be for some other reason, in my opinion. Probably because it kills the poor. <laughs> yes, yeah. and it does, it does. It, it's, uh, because the rich people are on birth control. Um, so I, th I think we'll... Uh... Uh, we'll, we'll move on there. Um, I'm going to skip this next story because I think it's uh, pertinent at the end of the uh, show. Because um, I think we, we we talk about that in in more detail, Morris Letizia stuff. Um, so uh, the next story I've got is there's an interfaith meeting by um, hosted by Sadiq Khan, the chief rabbi of London and uh, Archbishop of um, Westminster. Um, I don't think that it's much of a story, really. It's just basically uh, they they got together and had an interfaith meeting. It's it's not it's nothing we haven't seen before. Um, but my, my caption on the picture was, um, "Who's more happier to be there?" And I think the rabbi's more happier, um, but I, I, you can't tell with the other two. <laughs> no, it's just another exercise in ecumenism and and false worship and uh which is all a mortal sin i mean to do those things to engage in false worship with non-catholics is, is a mortal sin does that mayor of london ever wear a tie by the way um i i i, I don't really pay much attention to him to be honest my lord but uh i mean he's the mayor of london would he just please put on a tie i i i think it's quite cool to not wear a tie these days um in the office place i i see it quite a lot um Unfortunately, I work with a bunch of cranky old men who um, like to enforce standards and tradition. And um, I mean, they, they say it jokingly, but we all we all wear ties in my office place. So uh, at least there is some bastions of tradition in uh, in British workplaces. Um, but this this story actually was quite interesting because it's um, it's the um, it was a meeting at the Iftar, which is the I think the end of Ramadan. Um, the traditional breaking of the fast meal. So it's, uh, again, a, another example of ecumenism um, um, happening in Europe. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all, all I can say, really. Um, 
so the next story I'd like to talk about is the um, the, the one that comes from Asia News, and uh, it was Bergoglio's comments on corruption is a form of bath blasphemy that gives birth to the culture of death. So it sounds quite grandiose, but um, it was when um, so uh, uh, Cardinal Turkson um, gave a, a, an interview. And um, he talks like this is uh, paraphrasing Bergoglio saying, you know, the corruption is a, a blasphemy. It's a weapon um, and it's the common language of the mafias. I think um, this is also um, reported in firstthings.com as well. And um, uh, Bergoglio's got a mandate to uh, do a reform of the Vatican. Um, and now we already, we already know about Bergoglio's reform and liberalising the Vatican. I think we've reported that on previous Francis Watches, but um, I'd just like to get a bit of perspective on what these comments... What do you think these comments actually mean, my lord? Well, to say it's a blasphemy is, of course, absurd, but it's an interesting way to put it. it, it corruption is a, a crime, it, in, and all countries have some corruption. Uh, some countries are, are have terrible corruption, uh, it's it's merely a form of stealing or dishonesty. It's not blasphemy. That's that's a joke. But it's interesting that he would call it blasphemy because a social sin becomes uh, a sin against the first commandment. Blasphemy is against the first commandment, as if it were directly against God. So that means the people and the state are your God. That's what Hitler said. Hitler said he wanted the people to worship Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he called certain things sins in his speeches, that it would be a sin to do this and a sin to do that. And, and it's actually, if you go to wiki quotes for, for Adolf Hitler, you'll see that he wanted to replace Germany as the people's god. And if you look at uh, some German newsreels and all uh, of the time, uh, when they came to Christmas, there was absolutely no trace of the Christ child in any of the Christmas decorations or festivities. Christmas is a big thing in Germany, as you know. And, and, uh, but it was all Christmas trees and, and gifts and all. They, that idea, that's a socialist idea that the, the state is the God. And so anything that is contrary to the state is a type of blasphemy or sin. See, so, so it just underlines the, the fact that Francis uh, is, is uh, as uh, my opinion, which I think has strong, uh, strong basis, is an atheist and a communist, and that, that he could call such a thing a blasphemy. Remember the terrible, the, the worst uh, problems of the world uh, that the youth, uh, are that the youth don't have jobs and the old people are lonely. These are the worst problems of the world. <laughs> and you can see where his mind is, that it's all social. It's all condition of man and raising the condition of man. And, you know, to do this, he promotes his socialism. And as I always say, go look at the countries that have socialism and see if their condition of man has been raised. You know, R-A-Z-E-D might be a, a, a better term for it, uh, raised to the ground. Uh, that's that's let's look at that Venezuela where the people are starving to death. Uh, the the so um, so that's what I would say about that term and you know that, that absurd term put put blasphemy on corruption. It's crazy. One thing that people 
that are not from Argentina don't know is that Francis is friends with the, all of the corrupt people, political, politically speaking, in Argentina. He even sends rosaries to, be, to someone who's in jail because of corruption and, uh, <laughs> and sends letters to them and basically treating them as the victims and, and people who have stolen a lot of money from the government. I mean, and they are in jail right now. So, uh, so he's a friend of, and he, when they go to, to Rome, these politicians, he receives them and, and uh, he's all smiling. And, and the reason why he's kind with them is because they are Peronists, socialists, and, but they're the most corrupt people. I mean, you have no idea. And it's a very corruption that he's uh, I mean, condemning, but he's friends with, the same with Maduro in Venezuela and all those people who are really um, using, using the, this socialism and communism basically to, for their own benefit. So it's, it's a joke. I mean, it's the, the, the hypocrisy. But people in Argentina, they, they, they already basically, they know what is going on and that, that he's basically a socialist and friends with all the socialists, no, no matter how much how much money the the socialists steal so um and the the also the article goes on about um effectively thinly veiling um like the fact that um Bergoglio's comments on corruption are because he believes the curia is corrupt and um apparently quite quite increasingly francis uh, simply goes around the uh, established curia and the laws and the doctrine uh, um uh, to implement things to his own ends um so it's it's quite a hypocrisy as you said father that he's 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 calling people corrupt and then fraternizing with uh with the with with the corrupt uh, <laughs> interesting <laughs> i'd like to say too that when you have all the power total power you cannot complain about its being difficult to reform the curia because you call people in one by one and you say, you're fired, get out of here. And then you, then you ask other people who are not corrupt that you trust to take their jobs. That could be done in a single morning. So to say, well, he can't reform the curia, he can't reform the curia. What, what might be the obstacle is that there's so much dirt in that curia that he can't touch it for fear of being denounced himself or having other people denounced for this, that, or the other thing. That may be true. But the, the, as far as, you just fire people. If you don't like them, you fire them. Get rid of them. And, and, and he has all the power to do that. So to say oh, his hands are tied and it's the curia and all, I, I don't believe that at all. And he's not hesitant to use power in a very brutal way. Uh, and notice that he fired Mueller, who is, although a modernist, is reputed to be Mr. Conservative in the Curia. He got rid of him. He had no trouble getting rid of him. So, you know, to say, I think this is a Nova sort of conservative idea that, you know, the Curia is, it can't be reformed. It, it's a lot of nonsense. Um, so, speaking of Cardinal Mueller, my lord, um, I, uh, I put it in big block capitals in the show notes for our listeners' benefit. Um, Francis fires Mueller, hot topic. Um, well, it was it was a hot topic in uh, the beginning of July, but 
you know, for, for us, this is the first time we're actually discussing it. Um, so uh, um, all this is all this is quote. What I'm going to read now is a quote, but um, just just use quotation marks when I read this quote out, please. Uh, so His Eminence Cardinal Gerhard Ludwig Müller. Prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith since July the 2nd, 2012, has been dismissed by Pope Francis exactly five years after expiration of his term of office. Um, and so the the funny thing about all of this is that Cardinal Mueller um, is a friend of the SSPX. He's um, been trying to interpret Amoris Laetitia using the hermeneutic of continuity that um, Ratzinger um, invented. And um, this was enough to count him among the critics of the new path described by Bergoglio. And thus, he was surplus to requirements. So uh, what, do, what do we think of that, my lord? Well, first of all, this Cardinal Mueller is a modernist. That's point number one. The idea of painting him as a traditionalist and, uh, you know, a, a friend of the SSPX and somebody who's fighting modernism and is pure rubbish. Pure rubbish. It's just just not true. Uh, we saw recently in Novus Order Watch a very good article that uh, Mario Dirksen translated uh, from German, and actually he translated texts of Mueller from German into English where Mueller clearly denies the transubstantiation. He's talking about the Eucharist, and he, he is teaching transsignification and transfinalization, that the, the Eucharist, the bread and wine, means something different to you after the consecration, and it has a different purpose and, and goal after the consecration. But he constantly refers to it as the bread and wine. Uh, and it's clear that he does not believe in transubstantiation. Uh, he also uh, made that remark about the virgin birth, uh, which implicitly denied the virgin birth, which I won't go into now. But you know, it, the the man is, has has a history of modernism. He's a modernist. So the but you know the, the again the Novus Ordo conservative world desperate to maintain uh, some sort of decorum of Catholicism in the Novus Ordo puts him up the way they put Ratzinger up as somebody who's conservative, one of us, you know, he's, he's really fighting for our side. So that's point number one. Uh, number two, uh, he, he, he was very ambivalent about Amoris Laetitia. You know, he came out uh, with a, some sort of conservative statement at the beginning, and then he, he, uh, he caved in later on on, on Amoris Laetitia. So, I mean, he, he doesn't have a, uh, an untarnished position on it. Amoris Laetitia is so bad, too, that, I mean, the whole idea of conservative and liberal with regard to how you look at Amoris Laetitia is so alien to Catholicism. The thing is loaded with heresy of the moral order. It's loaded with it, loaded, okay? And, and, the, the, and also it establishes that conscience takes precedence over law. That, that if your conscience objects to the law, then you can follow your conscience. And this is regard, regarding the moral law, the natural law. And that is the worst heresy of all in that horrid document. And not even the best that the Novus Ordo can come up with, such as Cardinal Burke, has the guts to come out and say, this is heresy. Not one of them. So, you know, 
getting rid of, of, of Mueller and replacing him with some other creature uh, it was really a, a non-event. I mean, you know, he, he's, he, he, these people are, are puffed up in, by the Novus Ordo conservative world into, into things that they are not in order to satisfy the Novus Ordo conservative world that there is a hope of seeing Catholicism in this Vatican II religion, which is absurd. One more thing about his false, uh, the, the, the people thinking that he's a conservative. He's a friend and a disciple of uh, Cardinal Mueller of um, Gustavo Gutierrez, the, uh, the founder of, one of the founders of the liberation theology. And he even said about him, this is on Wikipedia, this is Mueller speaking about the theology of uh, liberation theology. The theology of Gustavo Gutierrez, how it is considered is orthodox because it is orthocratic, whatever that means, and teaches us the correct, correct Christian way of acting since it derives from authentic faith. So that's, and that's the, the, the whole liberation theology is, the, is basically Francis with the poor and all the stuff. So it's just like Stalin taking people out and putting other people in. I mean, it, it's really, uh, as, as was a term that was recently coined in this country, one big zero burger. <laughs> you, you may have to explain that for me, my lord. <laughs> well, and all your American hearers will know what that means. Uh, uh, it, it's just something that has come up in the news lately. Uh, the, that, uh, it means that it has no import at all it has, you know, that it's it's a play on words of a hamburger that has meat inside. Yeah. But if it's a zero burger, it's got nothing inside of it. So th this this will be one big zero burger, All right? So that yeah. that's now Father Chicada would have picked up on that right away. He would have, uh, so uh, he would have had said something uh, funny about it. Yeah. But he's on vacation, so that's why uh, Father Disposito is here. He's he's going to be listening to this, writing down all the jokes, and uh, next time it will just be a monologue of Father Chicarderisms. We should we should uh, one year send him to the Edinburgh fin Fringe Festival, which is the premier um, comedy festival in the UK, um, where all the, the you know all the top jokes and the comedians um, uh, occur. So I think Father Chicarder would go probably go down a, quite a hit there, or. Oh, he would. He would definitely. Uh, he, he could stand up and, and keep people laughing. Um, so obviously the, the, the next question is, um, Mueller's been sacked. Who's, who have they got in to replace him? And uh, so uh, without, without um, further ado, I'll, I'll tell our listeners, it's uh, Archbishop Luis Francisco Ladera Ferrer, who quite considerably is a Jesuit. And uh, we've talked we've talked about the Jesuits before. I believe we had Father de Sota um, pronouncing a few heresies, and of course the, the great apostate himself, Bergoglio, is a Jesuit himself. So, um, do we know anything about Father Ferrer, Archbishop Lefer, um, Ferrer, my Lord or Father, or is it just we'll, we'll wait until uh, we'll we'll see what happens when he when he starts speaking. I don't know too much about him. Uh, if he's a, a pick of, of Bergoglio, we know that he's bad. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, and, and a Jesuit uh, is, I don't know what country he's from, uh, what, uh, but uh, the, 
uh, he's probably very bad. He probably needs him in there in order not to be an obstacle or a voice against some of the agenda that he wants to accomplish doctrinally. I would guess that, but I think we have to wait and see. He's fairly obscure. And I don't know him, so I will guess he's the same, like a effeminate and a clown. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 well, as as Father Carter pointed out last time, the uh, Congregation Doctrine of the Faith hasn't really published any documents since Bergoglio came to power. So um, I'm, I'm pretty much he's just keeping the chair warm for the next person who comes in in five years' time. Um, it's uh, a, a put, I think. Is is that a good good American word to use? A what? A put. I think. I think it's. Uh, no, we don't use you that. Know, do you know? All oh, right. I, I must have must have got it from somewhere. <laughs> just just ignore me trying to be American listeners. Just ignore that. Uh, sort of like a placebo, you know. Uh, oh, basically, a zip. A zero burger in um, in human form. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, as uh, in the military, we'd probably call it a grey man. So uh, no, no one of real interest or significance who blends in with the crowd. Well, so far, let's see what happens. Uh, let's see what happens. But probably Bergoglio does not want to be bothered with that congregation. And he just may be somebody, as you described, just somebody to sit there and nod. As Bergoglio says, pretty much uh, heresies. <laughs> um, so uh, the next next story um, goes on to talk about um, communion in the hand, and um, as this is uh, from your native Argentina, Father. Um, so this is uh, Bishop Gabriel Bernardo Barber. Um, he re- used his Corpus Christi homily. Um, as we know, the Corpus Christi is the, the great feast of uh, the body of our Lord um, on June the 17th to advertise communion in the hand. And he um, his controversial innovation um, that, that apparently does not exist in his diocese. He dismissed the fact that communion in the hand leads to profanation because of flying around particles. Instead, he sees profanation of the body of Christ in prostitution or poverty, insinuating that the faithful do not care about those because those do not smell of incense. And uh, my my question to you, Father, is, is this guy insane? (laughs) One something that I I was, I went to the Novo Sordo until I was, uh, I once, about 16 years old, and I never saw communion in the hand. So I know that's because the whole country was more conservative. But uh, um, but it's true that you don't, at, at least in my parish, you didn't see that very often. So I can see why he's pushing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know, the, it's the same line as, as Bergoglio, that everything is, you have to care about people and human beings, and doesn't matter um, if we, I mean, it's a uh, danger of profanation of, of the Holy Eucharist, uh, it doesn't matter. And one thing that, uh, for those re- uh, listeners that don't know, Corpus Christi used to be in Argentina f- a holiday, even a national holiday, civil, but that uh, was ended by Perón. One of the things that Perón did was to abolish, uh, su- suppress the Corpus Christi as a holiday. So. And uh, I think it's a... Bergoglio is a big fan of, of, of a big fan, uh, yes of Peron. <laughs> mm. uh, he also put a rabbi as a, as the head of religious affairs in Argentina. 
Right, so. This is also just one more sign that these people don't believe in transubstantiation. For them, for those Novus Ordites, uh, you know, with, with some exceptions, uh, all it is is bread and wine. They are just like Protestants. It's just a, a, a blessed bread and wine and has only a, a significance of participating in the Last Supper, that's all. So it's just one more sign of that, and people should understand that. We, we always make the mistake of looking at Novus Ordites as Catholics. They, in, with regard to their doctrine and morality and their attitudes and, and disciplines, the liturgy, it, they are not Catholics, right? objectively. I'm not talking about people in good conscience or anything like that. But this, this is a whole new religion that denies Catholic dogma, and, and they just put out a Catholic flag. They put out the papal flag, essentially. And, but you can't look at it as Catholicism. It, it just is not. It, it has nothing to do with Catholicism. And, and so, you know, we think, oh, isn't this terrible a bishop saying that, that it's not a profanation of the body of Christ and we shouldn't worry about the particles flying around? No, it's to be expected from those people. What do you expect? <clears throat> you know what? What do you expect to find in a pigsty? You know, uh, uh, which maybe I'll, I'll skip as far as a description, but that's what it is. I mean, th this is a, a pigsty of of liturgy, of doctrine, of morals, uh, and attitudes, uh, and and that's what we we constantly have to to. Reiterate, and and the only thing Catholic left in them is the fact that they have not been severed as they ought to be. It's the only thing that is left in them. It is like a gangrenous arm that is dead but needs to be cut off, and and it isn't cut off, and that's our very central problem. I, I mean, my my mother-in-law tells me this story uh, quite occasionally of. Uh, um, a, a member of the laity after a mass um, was um, cleaning up, uh, so putting all the uh, missiles away, tidying all the kneelers away, that kind of that kind of thing, you know. Um, and um, they found a, a a small piece of host um, on the on the floor in one of the pews. So they went to um, talk to the the priest about it, and the priest said, "Oh, just just put it in the vacuum cleaner, sweep it up, put it in the bin." Because we don't believe in that anymore, and uh, that was the—I <laughs> mean, that—that's—that's that's just the Novus Ordo view, isn't it? <laughs> don't believe um, in that. <laughs> a, a medical doctor actually that told me that uh, he lived in uh, Montana and he saw a host on the floor, and he went straight over. It was in the cathedral, uh, and he went straight over to the bishop's house and demanded to see the bishop, even though he was having breakfast. And finally got in to see the bishop, and he said, you know, there's a host sitting on the floor of the cathedral. And so the bishop said to him very calmly, you know, we no longer believe in transubstantiation. Now, that goes back to the early 1980s, that story. And the man told me that himself. I mean, this is not hearsay. I was told this. Uh, so that goes that far back. They don't care. It is just bread and wine for them. And that's true anyway because they have invalidated their sacraments by changing the rite of Episcopal consecration, which is the worst of all, and, and also changing the rite of ordination. 
So they're quite right about it. It is just bread and wine. That's all it is. Uh, Novosoto Kool-Aid and cookie, as uh, as it's frequently known as. Um, so to, to round off this uh, this first part of the show, I'd like to um, just turn what we've talked about on its on his head and um, talk about a, a story that came from Sicily um, where a priest was removed from his parish and all his faculty suspended because he actually defended the sanctity of marriage. And this, I mean, this was reported by his parishioners. Um, and this is, was Palermo in Sicily. Um, he was um, about to celebrate mass and um, I don't think he was admitting, um, bringing a, uh, communion to adulterers and uh, the divorce and remarried and was basically suspended um so an example for us all there of uh you know in this this supposedly catholic church you do defend your morals and you get suspended yes the only time that they use their authority to enforce quote-unquote orthodoxy is to impose upon traditionalists the novus ordo some form of the Novus Order, either, either doctrinal, liturgical, or uh, some moral rule. Uh, but that's the only time. Then it sounds like the church before Vatican II. It, it, it's, it's this authoritative, monolithic church that will crack down on people who do not obey the rules when it comes to doing something Catholic in the Novus Ordo. Conversely, if, if you do something that's ecumenical, you do something outrageous against the first commandment of God or, or all of the other hard things that we see every single day, well, that's good. You say then you're encouraged. But they become like pre-Vatican II prelates when it comes to enforcing the, the new religion. It's very common. They're rigid on enforcing Vatican II, but lax on everything else. Yes. So uh, on that note, we'll uh, we'll talk to uh, we'll move to our next topic. Um, so I've entitled this SSPX Dead in the Water. Now, as as my lord and uh, father already know, the SSPX because of their position are dead on the water. Uh, but we've been quite silent on the developments in the recognize and resist world. Um, so I'd like to spend a little bit of time discussing the recent developments in the row or recent backward steps um, in the Rome SSPX relationship. Um, um, so I do have to point out um, a few months ago, there was the um, uh, relaxation of marriage and there was the appointment of all the marriage advisors and etc. Um, which uh, Menzigan took as a sign that, oh, yeah, reconciliation's happening and the um, the, the trad blogosphere, um, as we all know and love, was uh, um, inundated with rumours that the SSPX were going to sign and I think the Sedevacantists were hoping that the fat lady would finally sing for us and um, the SSPX would go to Rome, but unfortunately it's all kind of... Uh, Gone, gone sour, gone south, as we'd say. Um, so, I mean, where do we, where do we want to start with this, my lord? Is it's it just uh, it's it's like that game, um, you know, where you go. Uh, uh, do you have snakes and ladders in um, in America? 
So it's a, it's a it's a board game where it's, if you land on a ladder, you can ascend a few ste- steps on the on the few tiles on the board. But if you land on a snake, you go right back down again. And this feels almost as if um, the snake, they've stood on the snake and they've gone right back to the start where they were in the 80s. Um, all, the, all that progress that they've made has kind of been uh, shot down. Um, so uh, I think we'll, we'll start um, as, as per my uh, show notes. Um, so there was uh, so all this um, stuff I'm talking about now was reported on the SSPX website. So uh, listeners, go and go and view it. Um, so uh, Father Paul Robinson addresses the question of whether a pope must have faith of a traditionalist for it to be right in the SSPX to receive canon- canonical recognition from him. So, uh, my lord, uh, what, what's what's uh, what's what's suspect about that statement? <laughs> That question itself is so full of error that I don't know where to begin. Uh, the, 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 where, to, where to begin with the errors contained even in the question? It, it, tr- the faith of a traditionalist is the Catholic faith. Okay, So the, the real question is, does a pope have to have the Catholic faith in order to uh, you know, to for the SSPX to hook up with him. Well, in order to be pope, he must have the Catholic faith. <laughs> so there, he is no pope if he doesn't have the Catholic faith. Uh, this is, you know, Saint Robert Bellarmine and all, all the others. I mean, just a whole litany of theologians. All theologians agree. Cardinal Burke said it in an interview. All right, he would automatically lose his office. I mean, just. It's just the church that says this, all right? So so the question is, does a pope have to be a real pope in order that the SSPX hook up with him? And of course, the answer is yes. And But then there's that, that underlying error of SSPX, and that is that you negotiate with popes. The only thing you do with popes is to submit to them. You just you know kiss the the ring of his holiness and say I submit and I and tell me what to do. He he's the voice of Christ on earth. You don't negotiate with Christ. <laughs> so this idea of you know what kind of qualifications does a quote unquote pope have to have in order for us to hook up with him? I mean that is that question is so full and loaded with error that. It, it just boggles the mind that anybody could say it. But, you know, they, they are operating on the principle of Archbishop Lefebvre, and that is, he is the Pope, but we can resist him. Uh, and that this resistance is a legitimate thing. And it is not, because you're resisting him on things that properly belong to his authority, that is assisted by the Holy Ghost, preventing him from... Uh, promulgating to the whole church false doctrine, false moral doctrine, false liturgy, false disciplines, evil disciplines. He cannot prescribe for the whole church anything that would be sinful. All right. Now, this is the common teaching of Catholic theologians. And it, it, it is sacred scripture. He who hears you hears me. Whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven. How could God say that and bind in heaven 
something that is going to lead souls to help. He is, he is promising the assistance implicitly in that statement that Peter will never bind anybody to anything that would be unacceptable in heaven. I mean, do we need to say anything more about this? So they are resisting him, not on, you know, whether they should, uh, you know, paint their buildings a certain color. They are resisting him on issues that regard the assistance of the Holy Ghost to the Catholic Church. You take away that, assist that assistance of the Holy Ghost to the Catholic Church and you blow up the Catholic Church. If you take that away, then the Catholic Church becomes as I said before, one big zero burger. <laughs> I mean, it, it is nothing else than your Anglican church, than your Lutheran church. It is a bunch of old men making very fallible decisions uh, that, that change from age to age. I mean, look at your Anglican church over there. I mean, it is a complete joke as anything that claims to be a Christian church. And that's what you're making the Catholic church. If you pull out that assistance of the Holy Ghost, that whereby Catholics listen to the Pope. And that's what SSPX does. And that's why that question is so loaded with error. And I have noticed that the, the people, the, the, the frequent, the, frequent the society for Mass and the sacraments, they, they have basically been uh, brainwashed by, by, with these ideas. And they even get scandalized when you say that you have to submit to a pope not because he's infallible but because he he, is a, he has authority. That's for them is unthinkable how you can say that. So this is very they have lost the faith, uh, at least a faith in the church. They have they have a different notion of what the I mean what the pope is and um, yes, obedience and everything. So Almost you don't want to discuss with them because they, they, they don't speak the same language. For them, they are scandalized when you say mm -hmm. you have to obey the Pope, not because he's infallible, but because he's a Pope. <laughs> so that's simple. It's, it's also, they, they get scandalized when you call them schismatic or objectively not Catholic, because as soon as you say that to them, they, they robustly fight back on you. But their arguments are just, um, you know... They're like air in a balloon. As soon as you release the bottom of the balloon, it, all the air comes out. Nothing. There's no substance to it. Um, so we've we've established exactly what uh, the SSPX think the Pope needs to be. Um, so here's what. Um, so I think this was probably a parting shot from uh, Mueller, who was was probably the SSPX's biggest fan, or. Um, we thought was his biggest fan. So in July, um, the CDF agreed unanimously that in order to enjoy, quote, full communion with the Vatican, uh, the SSPX would need to meet the following conditions. So the first one is adherence to Professio Fidi, uh, the profession of faith of 1998, uh, not merely that of 1962, which is the mass that they say. Um, number two is explicit acceptance of the teaching of Vatican II and the post-conciliar magisterium according to their required degrees of adherence. And three is the recognition of the valid validity and legitimacy of the Novus Ordo Missae, uh, New Mass of Paul VI. And best of all, not only were these requirements decided unanimously, but they're also approved by Bergoglio himself.
So uh, there we have it. The SSPX kind of need to eat their words and um, agree to everything on those three conditions in order to be accepted. Um, can, can they? Can they? Can they do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I mean, if we make the the presumption for a moment that the Vatican is Catholic and that Vatican II is all Catholic, uh, and that the uh, that the, the Bergoglio is a true Pope, these conditions are perfectly normal. See that a profession of faith made by a Pope in 1998. Who would object to, to, to such a thing? What Catholic would object to signing his name to that? Reciting it, believing it, all right? He's the living rule of faith. The Pope is the living rule of faith. So explicit acceptance of the teachings of Vatican II and the post-conciliar magisterium, very important, according to their required degrees of adherence. Well, that makes all the sense in the world too. If if the Pope is the Pope, I mean, if if Bergoglio is a real Pope, that's what I, you know, the term, you know, uh, the the um, then sure, Vatican II is okay, and the post-conciliar magisterium is not only Catholic, but it also interprets Vatican II. It, it, if there's any question of what Vatican II means, you look at the magisterium of the Catholic Church. Uh, that is the true interpreter, not some spin that is given to it by Novus Ordo conservatives. <laughs> right? And third, the, the uh, recognition of the validity and the legitimacy of the Novus Ordo Mise. Now, legitimacy is the big word there. If, if it's legitimate, it must be good. How could something be legitimate if it's no good? And if it's good, why don't we say it? And if it's good, why has Archbishop Lefebvre since 1970 been repudiating the Novus Ordo Misae, calling it the Mass of Luther, and saying that it leads people to lose the faith? You know, you could make a whole booklet of, of quotations from Archbishop Lefebvre about how horrible the Novus Ordo Misae is how can you maintain all of those statements and say, well, it's legitimate? You can't have a legitimate anything if it's no good. <laughs> you know, it could have all of the legal stamps on it and, and seals and everything, but if it's no good, it's not legitimate. I mean, uh, the, I'm sure that the, that the decree from Hitler to Himmler to, to exterminate Jews was, was legitimate from the point of view of legal processes, but it was no good. <laughs> you know, it, it was a, an evil command and an evil law before, because the object of it was evil. All right, so the, the same is true of the Novus Ordo. If that Novus Ordo is not a good mass, if it's a non-Catholic mass, you could never put the word legitimate on it. That's the, the, so they are back to 1970, I think. This was the whole question in 1970. We want to reject Vatican II. I remember I was there in 1971. We want, I say 1970, that is their founding, November 1st, 1970. The whole idea of going there was to reject Vatican II, reject the Novus Ordo Mass, 
and and the postconciliar magisterium. Uh, those, those things being evil, uh, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre wrote a book. I accuse the council. Now how could how are you going to to accept the teachings of Vatican II, which are ordinary universal magisterium? How do we do that? You know, why have a cone? Why have the Society of Saint Pius X if this is what we must do? But as I said. If the assumption is that the man is the pope, that is, Bergoglio is the pope, and that Paul VI was the pope, John XXIII, all of the others were true popes, then these demands are entirely in accordance with reason and faith. There is no objection that they could give to any of these things. It's it's almost as if, my lord, that um, they they see they see two glaring errors in front of them. They see one error of Vatican II, and one error of stepping away from the Catholic Church and from the Vatican and from Rome. And it's it's sort of they they, they pick the lesser of two errors. Um, but what they don't realize is that if Rome is purporting Vatican II, um, the, the the error is just one big error. So they kind of uh, they they kind of what we would say shooting themselves in the foot because you know as soon as if if I played what you've just uh, said to us there, my lord, um, to an SSPXer, he he would just um, spit and mumble and go, oh well, you know, you know, um, uh, it's not the universal ordinary magisterium. Or bring out some very large words which don't mean much and um, try and talk his way out of the situation because um, you know they're, they're at the moment they're fat, dumb, and happy. And um, that's that's what that's what they want to go. They're just the, I mean, you know, the average laity just wants to go to mass and just wants to have a Catholic life. And um, as soon as you point out it's not Catholic, um, they they sort of they, they turn on you. And uh, it's it's like the uh, social justice warriors turning on everyone. You know, <laughs> that's that's what I akin it to. <laughs> and notice too that so-called Pope Francis. Uh, signed on to this. It was approved by Pope Francis, uh, uh, quote-unquote. What that means is that he is imposing acceptance of the teachings of Vatican II and post-conciliar magisterium. That is one of the conditions of magisterium, is that the Pope imposes it and, and requires that you accept it. So it's not some theological opinion or, or some sort of uh, thing that's optional. This is imposed. And, and that's very important that, that he signed on to this. So they cannot argue that acceptance of the teachings of Vatican II is something optional or, or a subject to controversy. It's imposed. So that's just an important point, you know. And, and, and also, you, this is a perfect, uh, perfect example of the illogic uh, of the SSPX because either Francis is uh, asking them for a profession of the true faith, and therefore, I mean, a pope can do that, or if that condition that he's asking is to to basically accept that he can do is a profession of a of a false faith that cannot proceed except from a false pope. So the society is saying. A true pope is asking us 
uh, to profess a false faith. That those two things kind of go together. So either he's a false pope and he's asking them to profess a false faith in order to join him, or he's a true pope and he's asking uh, for a profession of the true faith, and that's okay. That that will be Cardinal Burke, uh, I, I would guess, so, uh, logic, at least it's more logic, that he stays there, he accepts Vatican II, uh, at least it's, for, it's, a, it's still in error, but it's at least logic. The SSPX is not logic. Uh, they should either reject the whole thing and say that he's not the Pope, or accept the whole thing and say he's a Pope and Vatican II is a faith. But as always, they do, they try to do the other, I mean, the illogic position. I mean, you have to really feel sorry for uh, uh, Bishop Bernard Fillet because he's uh, he's worked so hard for this. He's 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 sacked so many people. Um, there's been so many. Um, you know, Bishop Williamson got expelled. Um, he's you know he's is effectively made the SSPX acknowledge the Novus Ordo right. Of Episcopal consecration, he's um, subjected himself to humiliation on TV with um, Tim Sebastian on Conflict Zone. Um, he's accepted the Vatican's personal prelature proposal. Um, uh, there's an extremely long list of the things that he's done. Um, I'm not going to read them all out because uh, I think uh, the bishop would fall asleep if I did. Um, but effectively, he's he's done all this, and it's just been torn down in front of him. <laughs> yes, it all fell down uh, just in one day. The whole thing fell down. And yes, he has made one shameful compromise after another, even uh, you know, of their own position, which is bad to begin with. But uh, the uh, just one compromise after the other, presenting the SSPX as a, an acceptable spouse, let's say, to the Novus Ordo, uh, and uh, and now it, it has all been blown up. I really don't know where they can go from here unless they <laughs> take this final step. And who knows, they might. They might say, okay, we'll do this uh, in order to, to have that uh, stamp of approval. You never know. Uh, I, I think they are in a quandary, though, because... Uh, you know, the Vatican has, has once again reached in and hit the, the central nerve here. It are, is Vatican II Catholic or not? Do you really think that, that Bergoglio is the Pope or not? And if you do, be consistent. That is the central nerve, and I think that, that they are <laughs> screaming uh, in pain as this nerve has been hit by, by what is really a reasonable request by the Vatican. You know, they go around and round and round in this this crazy world of well, he's the pope, but we ignore him. He's the pope, but we ignore him. I mean, it's just a sickening thing. We were hoping that they would just go, that they would come down the aisle, uh, all dressed up to get married with with uh, with Bergoglio. We oh, please let it happen. Just go. And because it would clear up the, the traditional movement. They, they still have the main part of the battlefield, so to speak, of the traditional movement. They are perceived as that. And they mess up people's minds, but with this crazy, crazy theology that they have and ruin their true obedience to the Roman pontiff and their true faith in the church. They ruin it. 
by the by what I described earlier. And you know, we just go. But now we're back to square one. Not only are they back to square one, we are back to square one because they're still sitting in our living room, you know, and, and eating our meals. You know, it's like guests that you can't get rid of. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're depressed about it. I was hoping at the beginning of July that we were going to see some great breakthrough in this, but then this all came and then we're, we are back to square one as well. We have to, to sit and listen to these people and fight them. And, and uh, you know, if they just join the Novus Ordo, then we can say, well, they're Novus Ordo. See, then end of, end of a conversation. But, you know, they're now, you know, they're, they're still out. And so uh, it, it's, uh, it's a very sad day. <laughs> so. to, uh, to borrow one of your uh, uh, transportation me um, uh, analogies, my lord, it's like Bishop Fillet's the pilot with these other bishops as the co-pilots and they're sat there on the plane taxiing they've taxied down the runway they've got all the clergy on board the <laughs> right. destination is the vatican fillet is he's got his hand on the accelerator oh, yeah. he's about <laughs> yeah. to go full throttle and then um, Mueller calls and says uh, on the on the on the on the radio says yeah sorry lads not today and uh, <laughs> go back to your to your, so to your game. where do you where do you go where do you go back to from that <laughs> well either you sit on the tarmac and let your let your your passengers cook in the plane <laughs> you know uh, for hours and hours and hours that's one thing you can do or else you go back to the gate let them all off and cancel the flight. So we'll see what they do. Um, and I think the last the last story we'll talk about in this section, uh, which was reported at the end of July, um, for this was LifeSiteNews.com uh, for those interested. Um, so the uh, sources inside the Vatican suggest that uh, Bergoglio aims to end Benedict XVI's universal permission for priests to say the, the traditional Latin Mass, also known as the extraordinary form. Um, and this, of course, will be um, repeatedly in tune with Francis's attitude towards the Latin Mass and rigidity and tradition, and um, so eff effectively, we could well see um, the repudiation of uh, Benedict's rule and um, the authorized version of the uh, Mass that the SSPX currently—I um, say authorized in quotation marks—that the SSPX currently uh, say throughout the world um, could be illicit once more. Well, we don't know. I mean, this is a rumor. Uh, I uh, find it, frankly, hard to believe that Bergoglio would go back on Sumorum Pontificum. I, I, I find that hard to believe, but you know, maybe he will. It only time will tell. But it, it sounds. You know, it's it, at this point. It's just a rumor. It's very hard to comment on it because we don't know the reality of it. So it could be fake news, but uh, it'd be good. It'd be good fake news if it was true. I don't think he would go back on it for as long as Ratzinger's alive. Well, I'll say that. But uh, Ratzinger just turned ninety, so he probably is not too long for this world. And you know, of course, you know, Mister B is not exactly a young chicken himself, so. We'll see, you know, who who makes it to the end. <clears throat> so, do you have anything more to add, Father? Well, no. That will be interesting if he does uh, forbid the traditional mass. But again, yes, I think the same that as long as Ratzinger is alive, he will not do it. And afterwards, 
uh, he might do it, who knows? <laughs> but if he does, that will be interesting to see the reaction of the, the more than the SSPX, the reaction of the no sort of Latin mass people. So to what they do, if they continue, they go to the society position or they start doing the no sort of, I don't know. Um, so effectively, it looks like the fat lady's not going to sing for us yet. Um, so, but fingers crossed she may. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to uh, just uh, move on from there. And um, so we've talked, we've obviously talked about the insanity, current insanity in the Novus Ordo, but I'd, I'd like to go through some um, themes that we, we've seen coming from Novus Ordo and particularly their morality. And um, so I've I've been asked by our good friends at Novus Ordo Watch to uh, um, get the bishop's opinion on this um, because I, th I think they probably would see the Bishop Sanborn's logic um, as completely counter to what the Novus Ordo are saying in this. So um, uh, the the next stories that I've uh, got highlighted is. Um, effectively going back to our old favourite, Amoris Letizia. So um, Archbishop um, Victor Fernandez, who basically authored a book um, entitled, I apologise for this, Hear me, Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing, and is apparently an alleged ghostwriter, ghostwriter of um, Amoris Letizia. He um, published a stunning defence of adultery in a magazine called Medellin, um, this uh, theological journal of um, the Latin American's Bishops' Conference, and his entitled essay was um, Chapter 8 of Amoris Letizia, What is Left After the Storm? And um, you can get additional information from Crooks Now uh, website. Um, Fernandez basically critiques those who claimed Amorius Letizia allows people to use their consciences to determine what is right or wrong. Um, although he doesn't explicitly mention it, the dubia by the four cardinals. Um, but here, I, here's a direct quote that I managed to uh, pull out after reading that drivel that he wrote. Um, so this is a quotation. By deploying that argument, opponents of Francis seek to force others to assume a particular logic from which there is no way out. Once this mental structure is adopted, there is no other option to accept the whole logic and consequences of using this way of reasoning. It's a death trap. Um, and those were the de uh, direct quotes. So... Uh, uh, what do we make of that, my lord? Is, uh, should, we, should we give it both guns? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I can see those uh, newsreels of British ships uh, turning their turrets and firing at German ships in World War One. So, uh, the um, first of all, conscience. What is conscience? Conscience is merely an act of your intellect by which it applies the moral law to something that you are about to do, all right? So it, it is incapable of judging anything on its own. It is simply an applier of the moral law. So if, if you think of, say, some sort of substance you want to put on your hand, you know, to, to uh, alleviate a burn or something, the moral law is what is in the jar the conscience takes it and, and wipes it on the burn. You see, it just applies the moral law to what you're about to do, All right? So the, now occasionally the intellect might have a doubt about what the moral law is or how it applies to this situation, 
right? That does occur in moral theology, but it never denies the moral law, and it never places conscience above the moral law. The modernistic notion of conscience is that you have some sort of telephone to God, and that it, you make up the moral law for yourself, and that the, the, the existing written moral law, let's say, is merely suggestive, and that you figure out for yourself what is the right thing for you, and, and uh, that your conscience is supreme over the law. That's the modernist and Protestant notion of conscience. Right? So distinguish those two things. So he has, uh, as I said, the worst aspect of Amoris Laetitia is that it places conscience over the moral law. It comes directly from Vatican II, which places conscience over doctrine. That is the whole idea of ecumenism and the whole idea of Vatican II. It is one of the central errors of Vatican II. Some would say it is the central error of Vatican II. Conscience over the law of belief, which is the faith. All right, so here is conscience over the moral law. That's what he's getting at. And the obviously Burke is objecting to that as a moral heresy. He has not said that, but we know he means it. And that's why he's, he's put these questions, which were actually good questions, to Bergoglio, assuming for a, for a moment that he's the Pope, uh, were good questions to him. Uh, they, you can tell that he figured them all out. And, and what he was getting at in there is, is does the conscience ha have priority over the moral law? Now, the moral law concerning adultery is very simple. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. So the, the uh, and also the moral law concerning fornication is very simple. Fornicators, says St. Paul, will go to hell. That's very simple, okay? So there's no doubt about whether you can fornicate or whether you can commit adultery. There's no possible doubt about that, all right? So the, the uh, but if you have a discernment according to this awful document, you can justify your adultery and justify your fornication. That's Amoris Laetitia. And Burke and others picked up on that. Now, of course, the death trap is, and he's absolutely right, is that Bergoglio is not the Pope because he is a heretic. And that's what he's referring to here, that if they press on with this logic that they are attacking Bergoglio with, they are going to end up in the logical, quote-unquote, death trap, which for me would be just wonderful, and that is, this man is not the Pope. You see, I, I think that's what he means, is that if you attack conscience over law, if you say that is a moral heresy, which it is, absolutely, then you, you back up into having to say that that man is not the Pope. And uh, so I, I think it's... Um, to me, it's music to my ears. <laughs> he has understood exactly where it's going. And I think Burke has understood exactly where it's going, too. But I think all of those Novus Ordo conservatives lack guts. They, they see it. They see, you know, they lack guts. And I would say to them, too, why has it taken you 50 years? This stuff was said in Vatican II. 
you know, there's been a, a reign of heresy since Vatican II. Why do you seize upon this heresy concerning fornication and adultery when there's been so many others and where we have just lived in a swamp of heresy? Why are you picking on this after 50 years? So you know, that, that's what I, but at least they, they have, you know, woken up a little bit. And, and uh, at least even, even that, uh, and we could discuss that too, that silly idea of a correction, at least would be a step in the right direction to say, you know, that there's something wrong with this. They, they, you know, at least that's, you know, it's better than saying nothing. Uh, but that would be a whole other comment, and there's also a, another comment I'd like to make that is not in the program for the for this uh, this Francis watch, but is very interesting. Uh, and uh, so uh, I, you know, I think this this uh, Fernandez is that his name uh, is is uh, hitting the nail right on the head about this. That's my opinion. Yes, one thing I would like to just to I just reading what he said, the uh, interesting thing is he try he understands the argument of the logic of basically saying Francis with Amoris Laetitia is basically making conscience supreme, etc., and therefore creating your own moral law. He said no, Francis not is not doing that. <laughs> That's his the defense of Fernandez. Uh, Francis says uh, the. Um, Francis' uh, brand of discernment is not designed to foster a conscience that claims to create the truth as it pleases or adapt to it, uh, adapt it to his desires, uh, etc. But after after saying no, he's not trying to do that. He says what uh, Amoris Laetitia is very demanding, and uh, like I think he he means because at the end. Um, the document says that we even we are sinners and imperfect. We we should strive to be whatever the, the sanctity of matrimony. But that is like a joke because in the very document is saying that most people cannot do that. And if we apply the and this is Fernandez the black and white norms, and without uh, taking into consideration the all of the um, all of the, the context. And that's bad, and it's against the gospel. So basically, saying Francis is not subjectivist, uh, or he is not making conscience supreme, but the priest is supposed to uh, discern, meaning even without denying the objectivity of the of the, of the moral order, he's supposed to <laughs> let people basically in their sins because it's, that's what he's saying. And uh, for whatever reason, either because uh, the, the complex reality that they cannot separate for some reason, one reason or another, or because the children, whatever reason, some adulterous unions or fornicators, they have to stay in, in that uh, situation because of some good, and you can tolerate or permit their adultery in that case and give them the sacraments, which, again, that's, that's what his interpretation of Amoris Laetitia, which, again, denies that adultery is something... Uh, intrinsically evil that you cannot tolerate that. Uh, you cannot tolerate people doing that. So um, it's almost like a venial sin that you can uh, tolerate in this context because of a greater good. And we are, he's not denying, uh, Francis, according to Fernandez, that there is the objectivity of the moral law is only just applying those things to uh, uh, whatever, to different cases. 
um, situations. If I recall, Maurice Letizia even said that they would be fulfilling the law of God by remaining together and committing adultery rather than to split up and uh, the family. I, I recall yes, something like that. that yeah. Yes, so that uh, that they would uh, you know do be doing a sin by breaking up the family, so they stay together and commit adultery, which. Because when something, yeah, I know, when something is intrinsically evil, it's a general moral principle. When it's evil by nature, that's what it means. It can never be done under any circumstances, even to save the whole world from destruction. You cannot posit that act if it is intrinsically evil, and all of sexual morality is, or immorality, I should say, is intrinsically evil. That is evil by nature. Uh, it's, it's distinguished from something that is evil by circumstance. I always give the, uh, the, the um, uh, example to my seminarians of bubblegum. There's nothing wrong with chewing bubblegum, and there's nothing wrong with making a big pink bubble from your mouth with the bubblegum. But I said, what about a, a bishop who's saying a pontifical mass and during, while he's sitting during the Gloria, is chewing bubble gum, and he blows up a big pink bubble, and it bursts in his face. <laughs> you see, that is what is known as circumstantially evil. There is nothing wrong with chewing bubble gum. It doesn't even break the fats <laughs> to chew the bubble gum. But he should not be chewing bubble gum during the Mass, for one thing. It's, it's indecorous, to say the least. Secondly, to have a big pink sticky... A bubble gum blow up in your face is is so contrary to the dignity of the Gloria and the you know he's in the mitre and everything. Uh, the uh, that's what is known as circumstantially evil. See, it's it, it's evil by circumstance, but not in itself. Whereas other things are by their very nature evil, and every all sexual immorality is by its very nature evil. The the act can never be posited for any good reason even to, to keep the family together, to, to save somebody from death, you cannot posit that act. And, and so this, that idea that, well, these circumstances are going to mitigate it or, or going to even justify it is contrary to Catholic moral law. And they're making, therefore, adultery merely circumstantially evil. You see, that, it, it, that circumstances can justify it, uh, that, uh, that uh, it would be evil if two people engaged in it purely for selfish reasons. Oh yes, that's terrible. But if you know that this is a second marriage and the first one was, was a failure and there's a lot of children and they love each other, well then it's okay. That destroys Catholic morality, just like a torpedo in the side of a ship. Destroys it, it blows up, it sinks. All right, there's some transportation analogy for you. <laughs> it's more like wartime, wartime analogy. Think of the Lusitania <laughs> flying at the bottom of the English Channel. Uh, so the um, so that that's the the evil of that. Now permit me to get into this uh, this other thing that's actually not here on our program notes, and that is that British Dominican who just this past week called for a commission to correct the Pope. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I 
think I did. Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll just look it up. That there should be a commission, a theological commission that would correct the Pope. And now there was a a, a Novus Ordo priest who wrote to me about this, and the title of his email was "Impossible and Crazy." <laughs> that was the title. <laughs> that because then why do you need a Pope? And you know if you need a corrector of the Pope. Well, then why do we need a pope? And why don't we have a commission to correct the correctors and then another commission to correct the correctors of the correctors? Because to whom do you give your assent? And why would a commission of correctors be better than a pope? It ruins the authority, the teaching authority of the church. So I just wanted to, uh, and you know, that, that reflects on Cardinal Burke too. I mean, he should know better than to correct a pope. What, are we supposed to listen to Cardinal Burke over the Pope? That makes no sense. See, the, the, you destroy the teaching authority of the church. So, so that's just a, uh, an aside to what we're saying here. But uh, the, uh, yes, this Fernandez, uh, uh, but it's so typical of them. It's typical of Vatican II, uh, just as Vatican II did. It would say something Catholic, a paragraph that was just, brimming with Catholicism. And then you have but, or however. And then that's exactly what Fernandez has done here. Oh, the Catholic moral doctrine. We bow down before the Catholic moral doctrine. Francis is not saying that conscience has precedence over the, the moral law. But, let's see. And for them, that moral law is merely an ideal. And that's said in Amoris Laetitia. It's an ideal. And I think that was brought up even in the dubia, that the, the observance of Catholic moral law with regard to adultery and fornication is an ideal, and, and, but most people can't do it. That reflects Martin Luther, who said uh, that God does not expect us to obey the moral law because he knows it's impossible. That's what he said. Uh, I, I mean, uh, wow, uh, what do we say to that? So. I um, uh, just to, just. To, I told you I was swinging that, that uh, turret around. <laughs> Do you ever see that picture of uh, the U.S. battleship, the uh, Missouri, the one you still got uh, that's still in Hawaii, I think, at the moment? Um, yes, it's in Hawaii. And yeah. she, I think, she fired the last ever broadside. And um, there's a pit, an aerial picture of her firing the broadside, and um, all guns blazing, and it actually physically moves the ship. Um, I, I think that's quite important. Yes, you can see the ship uh, moving back. Yeah, I think all of the guns were going. Yes. I think that's yes. quite, that must have been a blast. Quite impressive. Those were 16-inch guns. Um, so uh, coming back to the topic at hand, um, so I, I quite like that line, um, uh, the comfortable rigidity can be a betrayal at the heart of the gospel. Now, I, um, I've, I've been teaching my son recently um, all about the Exodus story and about Moses. And uh, I mean, there's, there's several things in the Exodus story which I, I've, you can apply to this. So, you know, for instance, when Moses first meets um, God in uh, the, the form of the burning bush and he asks, who are you? And uh, the reply was, I am, you know, and it's quite definite. I am. And, uh, you know, he didn't say, oh, I, I am this, I am that, or I am maybe. He just firmly, objectively, I am. And then, you know, obviously there's uh, the, the Ten Commandments later on, which pretty much 
says. Can I interrupt you for a second? Go ahead, go, go Ratzinger on. said of that burning bush that what uh, God really said is, I am who I am. <laughs> That's what he said. And then God says, go and tell the people, this is how they will know me. If you read the whole text, this is how they will call me. This is how they will know me. I am who am. That's the true translation. Uh, yeah. Ratzinger said, I am who I am. Which is so absurd <laughs> and stupid that it doesn't deserve a comment. That's all I can say. But is go it, ahead. And sorry to... I couldn't help but... In no, 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 my lord. That's uh, quite... Isn't that a song? I am who I am. Uh, I don't or know. I, I only listen to Mozart, Bach, Handel, and Haydn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, again you know um do i tell my son um uh, when when i talk go through the 10 commandments with him um you know thou shall maybe commit adultery if it's within you know if it's going to keep your family together in future life it, it's it's just absurd you know i mean comfortable rigidity you know it's it's the law you you break it you're going to hell you know and that's what you have to tell children but um and it, it is comfortable because you know you're you know black and white you know right and wrong you obey you disobey god's law that's it your soul is blackened and yes. uh, it's it is as you would say my lord an absurdity so I I think uh, when you were when you were discussing the uh, Fernandez stuff before, um, I kept thinking of uh, Phil Stone's um, quotes that he's he's compiling of you for the um, eventual Bishop Sanborn doll that we'll release. You know, uh, <laughs> and, um, that's heresy um, or filthy, dirty, and uh, <laughs> you know yeah. it all goes back to Vatican II. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I I probably repeat myself, but it it does. It all does go back to Vatican II. And, and, <laughs> I mean, the most absurd thing about all of this is that this passes for Roman Catholicism. That's the most absurd aspect of all of this. If we were talking about the Church of England and all of these people were saying all these things, we'd say, well, what do you expect from the Church of England? But the fact that this passes for Roman Catholicism and that nobody has either the mind or the guts to say it isn't Roman Catholicism is the most absurd thing that we are facing in our time. Um, I just uh, I sent you that uh, article, Father. I don't know if you've uh, had a quick quick flick through of it. The one that Bishop said earlier uh, mentioned earlier on. So it was uh, Father Aidan Nichols um, was the Dominican who said the Pope Francis's teaching led to an extremely grave situation. And uh, for our listeners, that was published on the 18th of August in the Catholic Herald. Um, so I, I haven't got it to my notes at hand, but um, hopefully we can cover that a bit more with Father Jacada. Um, so the the last uh, couple of topics I've got um, to discuss, I think we'll uh, we've got we've got time to discuss one or maybe two of them. Um, so. Um, uh, again, I apologise, uh, Father. I, 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 I am not picking on you at all, um, but this story comes again from Argentina, and um, <laughs> this is um, um, it was well, it's, it's actually way back in June, so it's it's old news as far as we're concerned. But um, um, the in the parish church of uh, San Roque, um, Santa Fe in Argentina, um, the local bishop, uh, Monsignor, Monsignor Massin, 
um, appointed by Pope Francis, carried out a monumental and sacrilegious scandal, um, which basically stems from Amoris Letizia, where he organised a special, quote, mass to give communion to adulterous couples. So I, I don't think there was probably any discernment there. It was just, if you're adulterous, come in and receive <laughs> receive communion. And this goes to show the degradation of morality in the uh, Novus Ordo Church. And notice that no one disciplined him as they disciplined the priest in Sicily. No, no, my lord. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that speaks uh, for itself. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I need uh, uh, Father Dispositor's comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, corruptio optimi pessima, so <laughs> that's me. That, that, that means the corruption of the best is the worst. <laughs> and that was a nationalistic uh, uh, statement because Argentina is the best, and therefore it's, the corruption of it is the worst. See, so that, that's, we just got a, 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 a dose of Argentinian nationalism. <laughs> So uh, the next topic is um, so this is this is quite an interesting one, um, or it, it probably more of the same as we we would say. But um, so this was a poll of um, Catholics who support same sex marriages, and um, so from twenty sixteen to seventeen, Catholic support for quote gay marriage jumped by nine percentage points from 58 to 67. And in comparison to the, the previous six years, uh, the approval among Catholics among same-sex marriages climbed steadily by 12% in six years and then um, 9% in the past year alone. Um, and uh, there are three factors. Because um, uh, I think in modern society these days, there is an extreme um, push to get uh, marriage equality. And I, and I know there's a lot of stuff going on about it in Australia. But uh, I'd just like to come back to the, the mentality of um, Norvus Ordo Catholics. And um, the, the, the three things um, are the Supreme Court decisions, um, people being cultural Catholics um, and societal pressure. And by cultural Catholics, I mean Catholics who, you know, Sunday Catholics, as we discussed before. Um, I don't actually think Amoris Titia has anything to do with the increase, but um, what would presuppose, you know, that it, it would actually mean that the Novus Ordos have actually read Amoris Titia in the first place. Well, again, it goes back to Vatican II, conscience over moral <laughs> law. And uh, if, if you uh, think that uh, same-sex marriage is for you and you are attracted to that sort of thing, then it becomes moral. Then, then why not? Uh, because there is no natural law. Uh, there's nothing to stop it. I don't think it has anything to do with Supreme Court decisions or culture or societal pressure or anything. These people have abandoned the Catholic notion of moral law and the faith. They don't have the faith. They, they are liberals who happen to go to church on Sunday, but they're, they're, they are receiving their moral law, let's say, or their moral principles from liberalism, which is do whatever you please and uh, accept those things which harm another. <laughs> That's the, the fundamental moral principle of liberalism. Do whatever you please. 
and obviously that concerns anything private. You see, so you know, sexual acts, birth control, abortion, uh, anything that concerns privacy is not, it should not come under any kind of public moral law. So people would say, well, you know, if these people are interested in doing those things with themselves, what are we, who are we to judge? That's exactly what, what uh, and I think that is the real influence is those comments and actions of Bergoglio. Who am I to judge? Holding hands with the homosexual activist priest, other things that, you know, having the, the transgender couple into the Vatican and various other gestures that he has made and comments that he has made. Uh, I think that's what has turned the tide more in that. But turning the tide, uh, don't forget older people are dying off, younger people are coming up. Uh, the younger people are completely imbued with the principles of liberalism. The Catholic faith doesn't enter into their moral judgments. It's liberalism. Uh, and and so that, that's why you're seeing an increase in that, in my opinion. So remember the catechism, uh, I think, of the JP2 that already switched the, the order of the ends of matrimony. Uh, so procreation of ch and education of children not being the, the primary anymore. And uh, basically that paves the way to you can have matrimony. You have only the, the whatever the love of the couple. That's enough. Doesn't matter if it's a woman and a man or two men or two women. So. Uh, and also the theology of the gift, that the, all the sexuality is a gift and given by God and all of that garbage. I think it's, I mean, the, how they justify it in, their, in the seminaries and what they teach to the seminarians, uh, that it's all okay. I mean, the sexual morality, I mean, it's, um, you can do whatever you want because it's a gift. So, <laughs> um, yeah, not surprising. Yeah, and you know, as as he said, my lord, socialism is rife, and kids growing up these days. I I, I mean, I'm I'm quite young myself, but uh, I I feel old when I say that. You know, kids growing up these days, uh, they they are imbued with liberalism, and um, I mean. Uh, recently, the disturbances in Charlottesville uh, goes to show how rife liberalism is in um, uh, America. And I mean, to be honest, it's all over the world and um, especially the Western world. And, um, you, uh, yeah, maybe I could maybe I could uh, get Stephen Heiner to um, to do a show of, on liberalism and uh, I'll be a show for future. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, if Stephen, if you're listening, uh, show idea there. Um, <laughs> so uh, to cap off the show, I've got a and an, it's it's not really a Francis um, uh, article, but it's it's a quote from Pope Francis. Um, it was a CNS News actually, um, which is a uh, where Pope Francis told an Italian newspaper recently that. Um, you know, the United States of America, Russia, China, North Korea, Bashar al-Assad, al Syria have a distorted vision of the world. Um, and the, the quote is, um, I also thought many times to this problem and came to the conclusion that not only but also for this reason, Europe must take as possible a federal structure, the Pope said. 
Um, and um, we've we've talked about this before with um, the Pope being a a centrist figure in uh, rainbow religions, but um, it's actually his opinions are coming forward now, um, quite more quite bold. So just just a bit of food for thought there. Yeah, that's because the European Union has been such a great success. You know, it's really <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful success. You know, with bailouts, I think Greece is on its third bailout now, and uh, and then you know other bailouts that have to be done, and and you know Europeans always getting along together. I mean, you know, they still have borders. They still they they you'll never make a United States out of Europe. It's just not possible. And I think the British people had the common sense to figure that out. And, you know, while you might want to have a good economic relationship with other European countries, you don't want to be part of them. And, and then look at the disaster of, of the, the uh, migration into Europe where uh, somebody that happens to make it into uh, open arms Germany can go wherever he wants in the rest of Europe and, and blow up whomever he pleases. I mean, look at, at peaceful Finland. They got it the other day. I mean... Uh, you know, by some Moroccan or something like that. And then Spain, who hasn't bombed anybody, I don't think, you know, it hasn't done any, lifted a finger against any of the ISIS people or anything like that. They got it the other day. So the, the uh, you, you know, it, it's been a wonderful success, a federated Europe, really great. But that, that, that was the design of socialists from after World War I, was the United States of Europe. Uh, all the leftists of Europe wanted to see that, and it's it's a pipe dream. It's it's the United States of Germany. That's what it is, and and you know it's it fulfills Germany's dream of dominating Europe. <laughs> you know, that's all they've, it is. They've they've just gone a they've just gone about it in a less uh, warmongering way than uh, Hitler tried to do it. Yes, yes, uh, but they they really call the shots for Europe. You know, so. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, that's an absurd thing for him to say. Uh, you know, I'm not touting any, uh, necessarily any, any, uh, carrying any torch for the way the United States looks at the world or anything like that. But to say that the, the solution to the world's problem is a federated Europe, he's concerned that the Brits are making a, an exit and that that's going to disintegrate the rest of the thing eventually. Let's hope we see that. I mean, that would be another <laughs> wonderful day to see that thing fall apart. Uh, and uh, but um, but you know, for the time being, they seem to want to hold it together. Although those Eastern Europeans are are fairly roguish in their in their observance of the EU laws. I noticed that. So uh, building of walls and whatnot. Uh, so. Uh, uh, but anyway, that that's just an absurd step. No, one more absurd. You know, there's, a, there's a favorite word of mine because uh, cockamamie is pretty good or cracked-brained statement of of Bergoglio. Uh, cockamamie is, I think, my lord. <laughs> cockamamie. Well, that's a good one. Tell uh, Phil Stone to copy that one. Down I will now. do. Cockamamie. <laughs> well, yes. Is, do, do the Brits say that word? Cockamamie. Um, no. Do the British say that? No. No. It means completely, no. totally stupid and and you know beyond description stupid. That's it's a very strong word. Something is cockamamie. I don't know what the origin of it is, but it, it's you know it's a very strong word. 
It's perfectly good work. We, we, would, we, we, would, we would say something like, uh, you know, unceasingly um, insane or something like that, or utterly that insane. That sounds very British, very yeah. reserved yeah. and correct, yeah. yes. You, you, For us, it's cockamamie. Instead of just one word, you've got to use about four to uh, get your meaning across, and that's that's how you speak well in British. <laughs> yeah, I um, can just hear someone with yeah. an Oxford accent saying that. <laughs> Uh, so on that note my lord and father uh, we'll end the show here um it's uh it's been a, a good one and uh considering that um both of you are from the seminary so uh, would you would you like to give us a bit of news uh what's what's what have you been doing in the past few months since we last spoke? well right now we're in mourning m-o-u-r-i-n-g because father eldracker went to australia so we are just like a bunch of children stranded on a desert island. Uh, because he, he's been here since 2010 as a seminarian. He knows how to do everything in this whole building. He knows how to play the organ. He sings. He's artistic. He has an engineering mind. He can draw anything you need as far as you know an altar or any, anything at all, measures it out. Everything's perfect. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> so we're all depressed here. Uh, I'm sure Australia is is well. They're kind of asleep right now, but the the uh, Australia is just jumping for joy, and and uh, I don't blame them, and we're happy for them. But uh, and I think Father Eldracker was very happy to go there. Uh, you know, he's uh, getting something set up on his own, and uh, the people of Brisbane. Notice how I pronounce that, which is the correct pronunciation. Yeah. People of Brisbane. Uh, actually contacted us recently. Their priest is going to permanently, that I understand, to the U.S., even though he's from New Zealand, he, he will go to the U.S. permanently. And so uh, they are asking when he leaves that Father uh, Eldracker give them the Mass. So uh, I, I do think that his apostolate will expand quite a bit in Australia. Um, other than that, you know, the summer for us is really uh, getting ready for the next year. There's really nothing much going on. We, 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 and nothing goes on here anyway. I mean, there's nothing ever to tell. You know, we don't have exciting things that go on here. Courses. I have, yes, I have a summer, uh, summer class, so it was very exciting. That <laughs> <It> was exciting. <laughs> it was some more Moral theology. theology. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Have many many hours a day, so but we finished. So well, that is to bring ahead uh, one of our seminarians who came to us from SSPX and then X SSPX, uh, the Resistance SSPX. Uh, he came to us, and uh, because he lost a lot of time with them, uh, because he was uh, he had Catholic ideas. Uh, they held him up, and, and then he found the resistance to be just something that was never getting off the ground. Uh, he came to us, and uh, so uh, he's 29 years old, and we wanted to move him ahead so that he could you know, be a priest as fast as he possibly could. So we're, we gave him summer courses. And so he'll be ordained a subdeacon in February and a deacon in uh, June. Uh, and then a priest in 2019, June of 2019. So he's from Louisiana, or he doesn't have a southern accent at all, but most people in Louisiana would say Louisiana, 
Right, so how's that for a... Uh, I recently heard, is it Louisville? It's called Lowellville. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, the, the correct pronunciation is Louisville because it was originally French and it was named for Louis Fourteenth. Oh. So it was Louisville. You see, so, uh, so it's commonly called by most people Louisville. But the locals there call it Louisville, <laughs> Louisville, as if it were L-O-V-E-L-L. -L. And I had a seminarian once that came to me years ago, and I said, you're from Kentucky? And he said, yes, and he told me the town, and he said, it's near Louisville. I said, where is Louisville? <laughs> you don't know where Louisville is? I said, never heard of Louisville, Kentucky. And finally, he spelled it for me. I said, Louisville, I'm going Louisville. It's where they have the Kentucky Derby. Uh, which is famous, and, uh, and yeah, I've heard of that. Involved in that somehow, I think she runs horses or something, but she keeps horses, or she used to anyway, in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, where uh, they do a lot of thoroughbred breeding. <coughs> she actually flew nice. to Kentucky using all of that gasoline and all of that. She flew to Kentucky once to inspect her horses. Mm. She's she's very big into her horses, is uh, uh, the Queen. <coughs> but you, you know, my lord, not to be a, a bore, but you and you and father, you know, you said it's quite boring in the seminary. You don't do anything, but you you are, you know, you just told us you're producing a priest soon. So uh, you know, for for us Catholics throughout the world, when who have hardly any priests, that's quite exciting. Well, news. we do have a, actually a so. priest coming up in 2018 too, so less than a year, and that is uh, father. He's a deacon now, father. Well, soon to be father. I don't, his name is Reverend Mr. Damien Duterte, and he's from France. <coughs> so it is, we're trying to place him in France. It's a little difficult right now, but we're trying to give him a situation in France. Uh, so, you know, I would not, and I've always said to him, it would be nice if you could go from France and do some work in England too, because it, mm -hmm. it's so painless <coughs> to go from Paris to London on that train assuming there's no terrorists on it, uh, the, the, uh, the, well, they would have their opportunity in that tunnel, I tell you that. If they wanted terror, that would be the place to do it. But uh, it's such a painless thing uh, to, to get on that train and go to London. Uh, and it's not that expensive either. I thought it would be terribly expensive, but it isn't. So, uh, you know, I think it would be a, a strong possibility maybe for... Uh, and he speaks English with a strong French accent, but he, his command of English is excellent. When he writes it, he never makes a mistake. His command of English is excellent. It's probably better than some English people, my lord, so... Uh. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, uh, we'll see. We're, we're just... Uh, uh, it, France has, uh, you know, from the point of view of, of the state of Acanthus in France, is, is, it's not an ideal situation, and we're trying to set up a situation that would be acceptable. So there you have it, my listeners. In 2018, there will be a new cr crusade to take back Europe from uh, the apostates and the Muslims, um, led by um, Father Duterte. So there we go. Something to look forward to. That's something exciting. <laughs> um, so on that note, we'll, uh, we'll end the show there, my lord. So uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on Francis Watch. All right. And thank, thank you. you for having us. Thank you for listening to Francis Watch. If you have any questions about anything you've heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. 
We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Dan Fitton. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.